Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. All right, I'll ask the Lord's blessing as we make our way to James chapter 4. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts toward your living word, may the Holy Spirit translate these truths to our hearts and lives. May you help us to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to each of us in our given situation today. Today, you're speaking to us. There's a reason you brought us here together. You want to say something. Help us to have the ears that really work, touched by God himself, so that we can hear God's own words to God's own people. Jesus' name, amen. Two friends who both happened to be taxidermists were walking along the city streets together. They stopped before a store window in which a great horned owl was on display. The two of them immediately began to shake their heads and scowl and arrogantly sighed and bluntly criticized whomever it was that did such shoddy work. They scoffed about the way it was awkwardly mounted. Its wide olive eyes were not natural, a little overkill. Its wings were not in proportion with its head. Its feathers were not neatly arranged, and its feet really could be improved if the guy just took a little bit more time and care. Just as they finished with their cutting little critique, the owl turned his head, blinked his eyes, and rustled up its feathers. And it gave the two of them quite a little start, not to mention causing them just a little bit of embarrassment about how quickly, oh, how quickly all that criticism just bubbled up to the surface and how uncalled for their mean-spirited remarks. Why do people like to find fault with others? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I love it when you ask me these questions. I did a little research for you, and there are four main reasons we like to talk smack about other people. Number one, insecurity. If there's something wrong with you, I can exploit your weakness in order to feel better about myself. The most insecure people tend to be the most critical. It's easier to tear you apart than to deal with my own weaknesses and failures. Number two, (laughs) jealousy. If I'm jealous of how you look, or who likes you, or envious of what you have or what you can do, I may feel compelled to discredit you, 
upset that you have something I want. Fault-finding based on jealous envy is an attempt to begrudge you the right to enjoy your blessing and to nurse the resentment I feel that you've got something I wish I had. Number three. There's only four. Don't worry. Number three, imitation. Critical environments can produce critical people. People who are obsessively fault finders often have been raised that way or the object of unkind criticism themselves, which they knowingly or unknowingly pass on uh, this ingrained habit. And lastly, a fourth reason people are overly critical, pride. When I think I am better than others, smarter, more skilled, and more able, I become everyone's private tutor for free. (laughs) Here's how you should run things. Here's what you should have worn or wear. Here's how you should have handled that. Now, this morning, a very important text. It's only two precious little verses which can make or break you as a Christian And it can also make or break the Christian church. It can either create a warm and loving and healthy church family, or it can create chaos, a place that you would rather not be on a Sunday morning. Now, um, it's really important for us to be able to keep a tight rein on our tongues. James opened his uh, book by saying, if you don't, keep a tight rein on your tongue, and you claim to be a Christian, your Christianity is worthless. That you ruin by careless words and and heartless criticism. You uh, ruin everything that you're supposed to be standing for as a witness of Jesus Christ. And now, James is saying once again, this has got to stop. You can't live this way. And uh, so we've been seeing in the four chapters that we are now up to that James is calling these folks out. He's calling them out and he's saying this behavior has to stop. Here's how to correct it and get back on track. So we're going to pick up where we left off at verse 11. And once again, he's telling us the results of when we live just for ourselves, when it's all about us, there's going to be something bad that comes about. So Verse 11, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law, the Bible, and judges it. When you judge the word of God, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you? to criticize, to judge another, your neighbor in this case here. So we're going to pause there and kind of really um, milk these two verses for all they're worth. Uh, These congregations were one big mess. As we've been seeing bickering and quarreling and gossiping, I made the remark that they resemble something more like the World Wrestling Federation than any Christian fellowship. Honestly, they are one big mess. And uh, James really shares Paul's 
uh, exasperation with the Galatians when he wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Listen, if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, there are really two simple things here. James is saying, here's a commandment to hold our tongues. And secondly, he's saying, let me give you really good motivation to obey this. So let's look first at the commandment here. It's quite simple. Do not slander. It's just very easy. The command, once again, to just put a lid on it when it comes to speaking in unloving ways. Now, if you've been with us since the beginning of our James studies, you will be thinking, while this is a familiar refrain, he's been talking about careless speech from the beginning, as I mentioned. Now, why does he keep bringing this up? Well, because it keeps being a problem. You know, he says in chapter 3, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame that tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And so that's why it's so important and it's such a big challenge for us to wrestle down our tongue and make it say edifying and loving and kind and gracious things instead of tearing people down. Now, of course, we've seen already that the problem is not in the tongue itself, but the heart. Because from the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, from the overflow of what's inside, the lips speak. And so we have to see that James is calling us not to just bridle the tongue, but he's saying, come near to God, humble yourself before God's mighty hand. It's a proud heart that is giving the tongue a license to say nasty things. And so really, it's not about, you know, just uh, trying to control your mouth. It's really bringing your heart to a humble place before God, where God's Holy Spirit can bring healing and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And from that will overflow living water, and you will bring uh, healing and life instead of death. And cursing. So, really, a simple command here. James, the the context of the passage says, James is saying, humble yourself and get right with God. And if you do humble yourself, you will see this in getting right with other people. And when we're right with other people, it will show by how we speak about them. It's very, very important how you treat people. In God's point of view, we like to have everything okay with our faith in God and then think that it doesn't matter how I speak or think or act with you. But really, it's very important. The Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23, he says, you know what? If you come to worship me, the Lord, 
and you have an offering. He says, and then you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. I mean, you've hurt somebody. Something's not right with somebody. As far as it depends on you, make peace. Go leave your offering before you contribute. Go fix that. And then come back and make your offering. Then you'll be acceptable in God's sight. It's so important to God, our human relationships, that he's saying that worship and him receiving that worship will be affected when you are letting things go bad, when it's in your power to make something right with somebody. And so we can't love God and then just trash people. It just doesn't work that way. And God says he doesn't tolerate that very well. So James is saying, humble yourself. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he's trying to get these folks to be humble. Alec Motyer, a commentator, said this. If you have humbled yourself before God and are really low before God, which is what that word means. It means not very high off the ground. If you have done that, then you don't have much altitude left from which to talk down to anyone. Now, so, and isn't that the truth? So, the command. Let's just take a look at this. We've got to be very clear about what he's prohibiting here. Verse 11 says, do not slander. And now, the last sentence also Uh, There's an inference to judging, being judgmental. And so slander and judging are the two verbs that God says absolutely forbidden if you're a Christian. Now let's talk about that. The word slander, we've talked about it before. The NIV translates this word as slander. Now the definition there is obvious. To wrongly accuse someone, to misrepresent them, to lie about them. To damage their reputation with hateful speech born of bitterness and a vengeful spirit. We see this all the time, you know, not only at the workplace and in our schools and in our families, but, you know, publicly with the tabloids and politicians. Uh, it's just a regular practice. Uh, when, when you slander somebody in print, it's called libel. And, you know, celebrities now are suing the tabloids for saying things that are false about them just to sell their dumb papers. And they're winning millions of dollars because uh, even our laws say, thou shalt not slander or you will pay big time. And God is just saying the same thing. Thou shalt not slander, or you will be fined. You will be fined, for sure. Now, the Greek word, NIV translates slander, is kata laleo in the Greek. And actually, it's a little bit broader of a term than our English word slander. Now, slander certainly catches the spirit, and it certainly includes slander. But really, a shout-out to the King James Version is has it a little bit better, do not speak evil of each other. You see, it involves a little bit more than our technical word to slander. You know, slander uh, slander comes from, in the Hebrew, the word for Satan is satan. The Greek of that word is diabolos, where we get the English word, devil. 
The word devil means translated slanderer. Why? He talks smack about you to God, and he talks smack about God to you. That's his number one job that he does. But the Bible says, greater is he who lives in you, Christian, than he that is in the world. So let's talk about this word. It's kind of a funny word to say in the Greek. If you want to say it, katalaleo, try it. That was pretty bad. (laughs) But I'm not speaking evil of you in it. I mean, in love. Uh, All right. Now, our context really, slanders included, they are really slandering one another. But wider than that, they're insulting one another. They're picking one another apart. They're cutting each other down. They're gossiping. They're flat out just saying rude and unkind remarks, ungracious things. Uh, Basically, behind people's backs about people they don't particularly like. That's really what's going on here. The state of the verb in the Greek is called the present imperative, which means it's a practice already in progress. So they're already doing this. This is a lifestyle in those churches. And he's saying it's just got to stop. Seriously. Here's Pastor Phil Newton's little summary of this word, katalaleo. The idea is that the person speaking puts themselves in the position of being above the other. Better than the other one so that they can tear down the other person and justify themselves in their own mind. They think of themselves as nearly perfect, and that because of their superior knowledge, insight, or ability, they have license to pick people apart without feeling the least bit of sympathy. They love to tell you all the ways you're failing, but none of the ways you're winning. Now, I can hear as a pastor these people not wanting to be corrected, as most, as the Proverbs say, a mocker or a fool despises correction. A wise man says, give it to me straight. But uh, there are fools in that congregation, and I can hear them start to object. What do you mean? No evil talk. Number one, how else am I supposed to respond to what they did? So let's, let's deal with that. Now, malicious words aren't the answer to malicious deeds. In the kingdom, in God's kingdom, In God's upside-down thinking with the world's thinking. Now, I mean, think about how he said to respond to people. You you know, honestly, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, which is, is kind of an idiom for insulting you, he says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, slap him back, only harder. No. What does it say? He says, who cares? Turn the other one and say, what else do you got to say, buddy? Go ahead. Whatever. Whatever. That's the Lord's approach. Then he says, if someone takes your shirt, you need to take his pants. (laughs) No? You don't laugh? I'm going to call you out. Brady. No, it doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, oh, you forgot something. My jacket. You need a jacket since you took the shirt. Uh, And then he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, dig in your heels and drag them all the way there. 
Make them sorry they ever asked you to go one mile. Whine and complain the whole way. No, he says, you know what? Say, hey, buddy, you know what I want to do? I'm going to throw in an extra mile. He says, people, I want you to blow their minds. When your enemy is hungry, say, can I bake you a pie? That will blow their minds. He says, what different, what, what difference are you? What, what, you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> How, what's the word? How are you different than them? They love who love them. They hate who hates them. But how about this, a twist? They slap you, you go, okay. They hate you, you pray for them. They curse you, you bless them. He says, ah, then they will know something's a little bit different about you. They may think you're crazy, but it is the way God works. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. There are so many new people here. I just bring out these oldies but goodies. Listen, I I worked at a college where a teacher despised me. A different one than I usually talk about. (laughs) This one... This one... This one had a lifestyle, alternative lifestyle, that she said Christians made very difficult and called us haters. And uh, When I'd walk into the office, she would bang her fist on the counter and say, I hate born-again Christians, especially that one. Now, if I would have said that about her, I would have been fired in 10 seconds, but somehow she'd get away with that. When I'd do the slightest thing off, if I were late to a class or she saw me drinking a Coke, which is not a thing to do, to have a cup of coffee on your desk in the classroom, you know... uh, she would go tell on me. She made my life miserable there. And one day, I was out, and I knew she collected Beanie Babies. It was the 90s. (laughs) And I saw this tarantula Beanie Baby. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm getting this for her. And I'm going to say, you know what? I saw the tarantula and I was thinking about you. (laughs) And Barb said, no. No, 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 no. And then next to the tarantula was this little rainbow-colored worm. Little wormy. And I thought, okay, I'll get the worm. So on Monday morning, I go in and I sit down next to her at a staff meeting. And things were simmering down. And I took the little beanie wormy and I I shoved it at her and I said for you and she lit up like a Christmas tree and she said for what What? I've been looking for that I've got the mommy worm I've been looking for the baby (laughs) and she looked at me and she went (laughs) and I said thank you (laughs) and she said Thank you. That changed everything. We became friends. She used to hug me when I'd come through the door. You know, she used to make jokes with me. Uh, I got a book 
about the whole subject in Christianity and what the Bible has to say. And I gave it to her and she said, I read it cover to cover. She was open and hard. Now, I could have gone to my boss and said, excuse me, I hate born-again Christians. She said publicly, I wish they were dead. Publicly. The whole place heard her. I could have just started slandering her and speaking evil. I was right about it. Instead, the Lord said, I've got another way to deal with this woman. The upside-down kingdom approach. And it works every time. God's ways work. And so that's really what I want to say there. Don't try it the world's way. A soft answer turns away wrath. Not fire with fire, water on the fire. Well, I can hear them say, well, what about when it's true? Listen, buddy. Just because something is true doesn't mean you can be unloving, unkind, and ungracious. If you share something that's true in an inappropriate way, you're sinning. Number three, they might say, well, what about when I say it to their face? Okay, so you can be unkind and ungracious and unloving to their face, but that's okay. I had a friend in Bible college who said to me, you know, I noticed that he was a little rude to people and cutting and unkind. And he said, you know what? The Lord has gifted me with a prophetic edge and a prophetic calling. And so what he was doing was blaming God for his ability to be blunt and rude and tearing people down. It was his gift. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't work because I don't see that listed in there, the gift of being cruel to people. Uh, A few years back... It was really popular, even here in Santa Rosa, in this ministry counseling thing where people would sit around and tear you to shreds in Jesus' name in a church where you would pay to have them dismantle you and humiliate you and and just tear you down, I guess in an effort so-called to build you up again. You know what? That's sick. And you cannot, the lust to be superior and to be in control and to tell people how they should live and point out their weakness so that we can feel better about ourselves, the lust to do that is so great that we will find a ministry in it so that we can do it in Jesus' name to you. Watch out for that. That's crazy. So if you're speaking in Jesus' name to people, you better come off like Jesus himself. Amen? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. He says, I am meek. I am gentle. So when someone comes to me and says, hey, this is a ministry in Jesus' name, you know you're stupid. <laughs> and your, your ears are big and, you know, you always talk and interrupt people and your mother dresses you funny. In Jesus' name, amen. No, folks, no, 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 no. When you come with an exhortation or an admonition in Jesus' name, you better be as sweet and kind and loving. When Jesus talked to his enemies, he let them have it. But when he talked to seekers and to people in need, 
He was lowly. He said, I am lowly. None of this sitting across from me on a high horse pointing your finger. In Jesus' name, not going to work. Do not speak evil about anybody, no matter how you want to justify it. This is going to include judging. Now, this is the, one of the most misunderstood concepts in the entire Bible. And I'm going to help you understand this. All right? Now, he says, who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? Now, the word in the Greek is krino. All right? It means, just like it sounds, to evaluate. When God judges us and we stand before the judgment of God, it's that word. And he says, do not be judgmental, to come to a conclusion about something to evaluate. Now, major confusion is because there are two distinct ways the Bible uses this same word. It's the same word in the Greek when he says, encourages us to do it, and when he forbids us from doing it. When he says, do not judge, and then when Jesus says, make a right judgment, it's the same word. Context is the only way you understand. Well, let's talk about the good way. John 7, verse 24 says, Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. And Jesus tells his disciples, make a right kind of judgment. Same word, krino. Now he's saying, judge. (laughs) I want you to judge. And of course, we have to judge. (laughs) We're encouraged to have judgment on doctrine. Number one. I mean, he's saying there, watch out for false teachers. He says, uh, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can judge people by their actions. Matthew chapter 7. So he's saying judge. It's a good thing. You know, so somebody comes into town with a gospel other than what Paul has preached. Paul says, reject them. Now, if you're going to tell me that Jesus is not God in the flesh, I reject you. I must make a judgment. Because God and Jesus are one and the same. Jesus claimed to be equal in every way to God the Father. If you tell me that we get married in heaven and Jesus says we don't, then I'm going with Jesus and I'm making a judgment against you based on the truth I find in the Bible where Jesus says when you get to heaven, there's no more marriage. That kind of relationship is dissolved. You will relate to each other in a different kind of way. I make a judgment. And if you tell me, uh, you know, it's wrong to eat certain kinds of foods, then I can look at the Bible, I can make a judgment about that, where the Bible says all foods are to be received with thanksgiving. Nothing is unclean, says Jesus. Now I make judgment calls. Secondly, I'm encouraged to make judgments on character. If you wish to be a deacon or an elder, there's a list in Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It gives a whole host of things to watch out for. It says an, an, uh, an elder has to be able to teach, not greedy, not violent, gentle. I must make a judgment call. You want to be an elder? I've got a list. I've got to judge you according to this. I'm encouraged to do so. I'm encouraged also to make judgments on sin issues. How can I help somebody as a pastor if I can't make a judgment call about black and white, right and wrong, sin or not sin? I have to make a judgment there. 
but a judgment that's gentle. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And so, you know, how else can we go about business? We've got to make judgments every day. Policemen make judgments every day. Judges make judgments every day, obviously. Parents raising kids. This is right. This is wrong. Let's make a judgment. You have to judge. Now, in that same college, I told you about that gal. There was a student, and she told me she was living with her boyfriend. And I said to her, she knew I was a pastor. I said, Sue, why would you give to some guy what only a husband deserves? And she said, Mr. Reinman, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, I said, let me teach you what that word really means. And I did, and I went to Matthew 7. This is the judgment that's bad and prohibited. Jesus said, do not judge or you're going to be judged. Do not hypocritically criticize people. Do not be a critical fault finder because they're going to treat you the same way. Listen, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay, a no, and pay no attention to the two-by-four in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's this beam of wood protruding from your own face? You hypocrite. First take the branch of wood out of your own eye, then maybe you'll be able to see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what do we learn about the wrong kind of judgment? Well... First of all, if I were to say to her, why are you living with your boyfriend? And then go home and click wherever I want to on the Internet and indulge my little sexual immorality. But I'm telling her, oh, Pastor Ross said you can't do that. When I am unwilling to repent and have the same, if not worse, issues. Yeah. Judge not lest you be judged. Also, here from this context, you see that the wrong kind of judgment is blind about self. Who cares about me? I got a honking tree hanging out of my head. But, oh, let me tell you all about your big, terrible problems. It's only a speck. But I'm going to make a big deal out of it because I'm blind to my own thing. I'm blind to how I've contributed to the problem. This is all about you. And I, I, I don't want to examine myself. I don't want to take care of my own issues. It's all about you. He says, judge not. First, self-examine. Be humble. Confess your own sins. Know your own weakness. Come to somebody after you have dealt with your own major issues and are aware of your own brokenness. And in humility and in a sense of, of weakness and brokenness, you come in loving intention to the other person and wanting to help and lift up, not from up here, but from down here as a fellow struggler. Ah, now we're talking. But to do it any other way, the Bible says, is judgment. It's that quick rush to judgment without the facts where you just wipe a person off or you just write them off. Oh, he's an idiot. Oh, really? Really? says God. He is. 
Oh, he's good for nothing. He'll never amount to anything. That's the way he is always. Those kind of remarks. Do not judge. When you condemn somebody, oh, she's that way. That's the wrong kind of judging. I was at a wedding 10 years ago. I was having a little drink. And a brother came up to me who hadn't seen me for a couple years and started lecturing me in a very sharp way about abusing Christian liberty by having a beer at a wedding. I was so offended, I just couldn't talk. And he kept on. One thing from the pulpit, another thing at a wedding. He's on and on and on, just telling me, why don't you practice what you preach? And I said, first of all, this is Mandarin Orange. It, was, it looked like a beer. It wasn't a beer. It was one of those funny little drinks, you know. It was a soda. And so I showed it to him. This is a soda. First of all, let's just start with number one. <laughs> number one is, it's not a beer. <laughs> yeah. Do I get an apology? How many of you think there was an apology there? Oh. Just, well, just saying. Just saying? I'm going to take this soda <laughs> and I'm going to baptize you. Oh my word. Judge not. That is poster child for what Jesus meant. Go rushing in, quick to assume the worst. You don't know your facts, and you're better, and he's bad, and you're going to let him have it. That is judge not, lest you be judged. Not in a decent call. That black and white, and I come to an evaluation, you're sinning. I'm sorry, it's a sin. Yeah, that's a little bit different than what just happened at the wedding. All right? Are we clear? Good. Let's turn the page. I want to say that, but we don't have time. Okay, yes, we do. <laughs> Love this. Yes. Negative and challenging things must be talked about among Christians in the context of Christian growth. And serious issues must be addressed in people's lives and relationship. Christians must exhort and admonish one another. It's not like we just sugarcoat everything and ignore important matters that need to be talked about. The point is that we do everything in love, gentleness, prayerfully, from a humble heart, which realizes its own terrible sinfulness and is wanting to bring healing, not hurt. In such ways, we speak with great caution and brokenness, gentleness, and a heartfelt care to restore and to strengthen, not to demean and to tear down. If you can't do it this way, you best remain silent. Amen? Now, last page. Now, we did sort of an oriole there. We took the top verse and the bottom verse. Now it's time for the creamy inside middle. All right? I don't have much time, so I'm just going to kind of sum it up. He says, do not slander, do not judge, and let me give you a serious reason why. 
And there are three really quick ones, okay? He says here, here's an extended paraphrase, all right? So, so put your thinking caps on. Here's what he's saying. Don't, don't read along because it'll confuse you. You can read along after I read this to you. When you speak evil against someone, tear them down, pick them apart, you're coming against God's word. In a way, you're standing in judgment of the Bible. And here's your assessment of his command to love. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. You know what his word commands, yet you've made your own assessment and have decided to go ahead and criticize. Isn't it your place to obey God's word and not to pass judgment on whether the Bible is valid for you or not? There's only one person who determines what's right or wrong. Only one who calls the shots and can judge what he's made. He's the judge of the whole earth, the one who can create life and sustain life or destroy life. He's the only one who has the right to sit in judgment. But you, who are you to talk that way? So that's the paraphrase of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, first of all, you're sinning against the Bible. So when James uses the word law, it's Torah, and he's talking about, really, the first uh, five books where Moses, the teachings of Moses. But really, loosely, when a Jew says the law, he means the whole Old Testament. So really what he's saying is the Bible. All right? So when he says, first of all, you're sinning against the Bible. Well, well how are you judging the Bible? I don't get it. Well, he says, you're speaking evil by criticizing your brother... And then, by doing so, you're speaking evil and criticizing God's word. Well, how, well, how does that make sense? Let me give you an example. You say, you know what, John? <laughs> He's a loser. All right? And so you're speaking uncharitably about him. Blah, 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 blah. Now, you know the Bible, especially the parts about thou shalt not slander, you have criticized God by saying that doesn't... <laughs> That isn't valid for me. So you're raising yourself up over the Bible and say, you know, in this instance, I'm going to go ahead and do this. So you're standing, arms folded, knowing the command to be quiet about that, not to gossip, not to tear somebody down, not to spread a negative report that you wouldn't want spread about you. You know the command, but you sit in judgment of it. You say, you know what? I'm on the throne right now, God, and your word. I'm above it. And I'm going to go ahead and let it fly. That's what James says. He says, so number one, you're judging the word of God as invalid to you. And I love this quote by Douglas Moo, one of my favorite commentators on uh, James. He says, however high and orthodox our view of God's word might be, a failure to put it into practice says to the world, we do not, in fact, consider it very important. So James says, you know what your place is? Not to look at the word and say, you know what? Do I need to obey this or not? You, your job is to obey it, not to judge it. Secondly, he says, not only are you sinning against the Bible, you're sinning against the person. Now, Jesus takes things personally. You know in Matthew 25 when he talks about um, judgment and he's talking to people afterwards, after life. 
And he says, oh, thank you for visiting me in prison. And I didn't have anything to wear. And you brought me something to wear. And I was sick in the hospital. You came to visit me. And they say, "Uh, (laughs) never happened. We don't know what you're talking about. He says, you know what? When you did that for the least Christian, I took it kind of personally. Thank you. When you did it to them, you did it to me. Ah, now does it only stop with blessing Jesus that he takes it personally? How about when the least of these is stumbled by you or ignored by you or talked smack by you? You've done it to the least of these. You've done it unto me. So when you sin against the person, my friend, <laughs> James says, you're speaking against God because he takes things very personally. That person's made in God's image. That person is loved by God. Warts and all, bought by Jesus' blood if they're a believer. Now, don't mess with the object of God's great love. Don't talk smack about somebody God has like got a broken heart over. You know, you see the, those National Geographic shows of the big lion and the cubs are all over and just messing around. Can you imagine trying to mess with one of those cubs? You know, go up and grab one and twist it by its little paw right in front of the lion. You know, would that be smart? No, I don't think so. You wouldn't do that. You know what? Approach the lion of the tribe of Judah's cubs very gingerly. Gingerly, he says, I will act on their behalf. He said, don't be talking smack about them. I'll turn from them on you, and I'll have to chastise you. He says, vengeance is mine. I'm taking care of it. You can entrust that person to me. It's my job. I'm the judge. Nothing gets by me. I will discipline. I will bring justice. It's not for you to take into your own hands with your own lips to defend yourself. He says, the heritage of the Lord is this. I defend them. Lastly, really, finally, it's the same sort of thing. You find yourself criticizing God and offending him. Now, the two taxidermists, as we close out here, they're picking apart what? A perfectly good owl. (laughs) I mean, perfect. Now, the owl does have has apparently some flaws. Right? Compared to other owls. But it's a perfect owl. As God made it. Who's listening to that? As they just pick that owl apart. The one who made the owl. The one who made the owl hears him saying, Shoddy craftsmanship. Look at those feet. They're hideous. (laughs) You know? On and on. Well, everybody's feet are hideous, mostly. Shoddy workmanship, disproportional features, tearing apart our weaknesses. Listen, same thing. God made the person. They're a work in progress. They're his work. He died and invested his blood in that work. You have no business tearing his work apart. Even if it's true, even if it's to their face, even if it's in Jesus' name, Silent when it comes to negative, critical, 
unkind and ungracious words about somebody who is the apple of God's eye. That's us, unfinished. I want to say to people, you know, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. That's what we are all saying to each other. I'm painfully aware of many of my faults, as you are. The last thing you need me to do is tell somebody else about those things or to come to you in meanness and impatience and put your nose in it. It's the last thing we need. Instead, I want to be the kind of man who comes to people and lifts them up and, and covers over offenses and gives someone the benefit of the doubt and cuts them the same grace and mercy and forgiveness that I've been cut for a lifetime of sinning. God, let me off the hook to pass that on and to be somebody who just inspires people upward to affirm the positive, to catch people doing the right thing and say, wow, I saw that. Thank you. That's what we need to be. And as soon as that gets a hold of those folks that James is pastoring, sending the letter to, that church is going to start to heal and grow and thrive and be productive for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this two verses that just hit us square between the eyes and touch us in our deepest place. God, heal us. We confess to you that we have and do talk when we should not be talking. We say things that are not becoming of those who represent the living God. God, we we ask your forgiveness, your cleansing. Thank you that we have a fountain to wash ourselves and, and a coal from your altar to touch these nasty lips of ours. Help us from today to do our best to let no unwholesome word proceed out of our mouth, but only that which edifies. Help us to take your word to heart and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.